Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to the London News Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. Head on over to WorldSoccerShop.com for the best Chelsea gear around. So as most of you know by now, Dan is off running around Italy, and he was even at the Roma match, so he will definitely not be joining us today. But don't worry, I am not alone. Nick is here. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. I'm not in Italy, so I really had no excuse. That's true. I guess that's uh, that's a fair point, but still, glad to have you back. And uh, filling in for Dan is the pod father himself Stanford Chidge welcome back I love that sobriquet I really do Brandon the pod father I love it yeah no it's good to see you guys I haven't, I haven't spoken to you guys for a long 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 time it's nice to be back yeah it's true you Arsenal game I think the the one where we got killed was it really <laughs> yeah that was it was God. way back in September yeah no way I mean I, the thing is I mean actually you know ironically I was thinking about that game as, as I think a lot of us do don't they because it was really kind of the turning point and uh you know we're getting towards the end of the season and I mean I suspect you like like me are thinking oh god I've got to do a whole review of the season 
bloody show soon. And and I was thinking, what was one of my favourite games? And do you know what? Weirdly, that was one of my favourite games because I had such a great time. I got so, so pissed before and after that game, <laughs> which is probably why I don't remember at all that I was on your show that weekend. So there we go. Amazing. It's probably the best way to survive the, the the match itself, unfortunately, as it rolled out. But, I mean, what a catalyst it was. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, interesting, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, I, I was with Dan Silver, who you know and, know and yep. love. And, and, and we, were, we were not only on the Guinnesses before that match, we were on the shots as well. Oh, so we yeah. clearly knew something was going to happen. So we were anesthetized totally to it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, you know, of course, we do know that we haven't talked um, directly, but uh, you guys were able to talk about us and even give your best impressions. So in case our listeners haven't had the joy of hearing that, I'm going to insert it right here so they can relive the glory and we'll let them play this out real quick. Here we go. We could listen to it and then we, you and I are quite good mimics. I reckon we could carry yes, it off. okay. You know? Y'all listen, you, you're listening to London is blue. Come on, you blues. I mean, we could do it. I reckon we could. Can do I just be a very, Can the, I be a very deep guy? Of, uh, can I play very deep American guy? Is that okay? I think that that I think that, that Joe will remind me, but I think that that's Nick. Okay. Nick Villaney's the yeah. Nick Nick has the uh, Nick has the deep voice. Isn't that right, Joe? I think Brandon Nick, is the, the main host. Can, yeah, can so I you, play the other guy as well? Brand, Brandon's all a bit like this. He's kind of a bit is he more, a you know. Is he fair? Is he a bit you know, New York? Is it old? He's a bit like that, but he's a great okay. guy, you know. He's, he's he's he knows the super chels very well. That that's Brandon, isn't it? And you of course you you've done a ringer for Nick. Well, that went down there, there. That guy. Anyway, should we get on with Is the that show? That guy, that him there. Okay. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. It's all a bit like Bob Budker, and uh, you know, I, I I I like watching the Chels on a Saturday. You know, it's it's I have to get up really early, but you know, it's worth it. Uh, fantastic stuff, guys. I mean, from what I can tell, you know, Nick, Dead you do have the burly low voice. It, yeah. it was well done. Yeah. I yeah. actually, Jonathan I, Kidd did you, didn't he, Nick? He did yeah, it really well. Yeah, I messaged him after. I was like, man, that was that was pretty well done. <laughs> I was I was in my car and I almost lost it. I was like, because it it's it's so unexpected. Like we don't get your show notes, so we don't know. Like, hey, insert uh, dig at London is blue pod here. And so I, when I'm <laughs> when I'm in the car, I'm like, oh god, they just killed us. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Well, I can, I can, I can guarantee you, Nick. We, we didn't, we didn't script that at all. Uh, these things on our show, they just <laughs> happen. When you get a load of nutters like I get on the show, anything can happen, and and it just kind of just came out of of nowhere, really. Uh, but I thought, I thought Jonathan did you brilliant. You are the Bob Butker of the London is Blue just, podcast. Just so yeah. low, low. Yeah, very good. You, sh- you should do voiceovers, mate. Like Jonathan, he could probably get you some work. There we go. All right, Jonathan, I'm coming for you. Awesome. But yeah, no, it was great. And obviously this is a good way for us to make sure anyone in the U.S. or around the world not listening to the Chelsea Fancast, go give them a listen. You can find them everywhere just like us. But, you know, kicking this off real quick, as we did tell everyone that you'd be joining us, Chid, Stephen Clark on Facebook wanted us to make sure that we asked you, what is your ever, your most favorite Chelsea game? Goodness gracious me. Oh, I mean, the thing about me, Steve, is that, you know, because of my, my, my drinking habits in the early days particularly, <laughs> I, I've forgotten more matches than most people have been to. But uh, I can tell you what the, my favourite match that I wasn't at would have been, and this is a lot of people of my generation, and that was the famous uh, 
you know, Chelsea here, Chelsea there match uh, at Highbury in 1984 when we uh, came back from the first division into the first division. Kerry Dixon scored his favourite goal in a 1-1 draw. And there were, I mean, there were easily 10, 15,000 Chelsea at, at Highbury on that day. And it's it's become legendary. Uh, and I wasn't there, very sadly. I had a lot of friends who were. Uh, the Liverpool, the 4-2 when uh, Stamford Bridge was being rebuilt. thats I mean, I wasn't there for that one, annoyingly, uh, but uh, that's still one of my favourite Chelsea games. I think in recent times, um, I would say one of, the favorite, one of my favourite matches that I was there for was actually um, the Napoli home match oh, in the yeah. Champions League run because uh, I, I didn't expect to be there, which you might find is odd because I have a season ticket and all of that. But at the time, I was absolutely skint. My business had just gone completely pear-shaped and I'd lost loads of money. And I, I just turned up to Stamford Bridge because I just wanted to be near. And I kind of said hello to Marco and everybody at the stall. And I, was, I was off to have a few beers. And a friend of mine phoned up and said, look, we're in the pub. I've got a spare ticket for you. It's only 40 quid. And I said, well, mate, I haven't got 40 quid. But, you know, thanks anyway. Anyway, as it happened, we sold a few Chelsea Fancast T-shirts on Marco's stall, and, and then basically I ended up with 40 quid in my pocket. Phoned this mate up and said, where are you? I'm meeting you now, and I've got some money for the ticket. And he still had it. So I ended up getting a ticket to the game and, and sat in the shed and just watched the most emotional and remarkable match I, I think I've ever seen. I mean, the determination of the Chelsea supporters that night was just insane. And, and there was such belief there. We just felt we were going to do it. You know, and and we did, and and I and, and I think just for the atmosphere and the circumstances around it, that's got to be one of the favourite matches that I've been to. But I mean, Steve, we we could do a five-hour show, and I probably still wouldn't get through all of the matches that I've enjoyed being at. Well, that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing, and obviously. Um, you know, we normally do their iTunes reviews with Dan being out. He does that for all of you. So if you left a review, I promise we will hit you on the next pod when Dan is back. But real quick, we've got our uh, intro message from World Soccer Shop. And then it is time for the Stoke City Review. Nick, what do we have? Yep. So again, I think this week we are we're telling you, go sign up for a profile. You can use our referral link to get there. It's quick. It's easy. You can get uh, shipping notifications. And it's simple to put your payment information in there so you get quicker checkout uh, all you have to do is go to worldslockshop.com in the top right corner sign up for a profile and it's the best way to help support our show so do it absolutely so guys main event time we have our match review of stoke city of course it was a premier league match headed over to the bet 365 stadium it was this past saturday March 18th, Blues 2, Potters 1. And as always, we do the J-Hill prediction game on Facebook. And shout out to Ugo, who nailed it with the 2-1 Chelsea win. Again, we checked the timestamp. He got it in before the match. So normally, <laughs> right now, we do the lineup uh, with Dan as he's not here. So, Nick, I'm going to pass the torch over to you. Yeah. So, I mean, largely the same lineup. Uh, Courtois, Dave... Uh, David Luiz, Gary Cahill, Moses, Alonzo. And Moses was a uh, potentially a, a late scratch for this game, so it was good that he got a chance to play. N'Golo Kante, Nemanja Matic stayed in for what was going to be a very uh, contentious affair uh, with no Eden Hazard, who was uh, kicked the shit out of against United. Uh, he stayed back home. Uh, Willian and Pedro started uh, alongside Diego up front. 
Yeah. So obviously a couple changes from, you know, from the normal kind of lineup we've gotten. Uh, Chidge, one thing to point out, we had an extremely young bench. I mean, if you take Begovic out, uh, Fabregas is the old man. Isn't it just, uh, you know, I, I, it's a very, I mean, I, you know, I get very torn on this whole argument, uh, you know, about the youth. And there just seems to be, it's a very interesting thing, actually, because I think a lot of the newer fans uh, get very uh, excitable about playing the youth, but also uh, a lot of people of my generation. And I think the reason why my generation get excitable about playing the youth is that they remember a very, very famous Chelsea side of the mid-70s, uh, Eddie, Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army years, where they bounced back uh, from Division Two with a, with a side pretty much uh, built around their youth academy. Uh, and and we get a bit misty-eyed about that, but of course the game has changed massively, and and so has the club. You know, we're one of the top 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 clubs in the world these days, expecting to win titles, expecting to compete for European trophies every year, with a you know having been bankrolled by one of the richest guys in football, and and therefore you know you what you do is you build a team around some of the best players in the world, and and I'm afraid that means. If the youth are going to get a look in, it doesn't matter how good they are, but they've got to be good enough to, uh, you know, get get established internationals out of the side. And that makes it very, very hard. I mean, I, I like to see them given a chance. And it's really lovely to see that, A, so many of them are on the bench and B, uh, you know, I think we'll probably talk about Loftus-Cheek later. But I think that uh, Conte is gradually trying to ease a few of them in. But I, I would ask any of you guys and any of your listeners a question. What would you rather have? Would you rather have Chelsea winning Premier League titles and European Cups year in, year out? Or would you have a, a team in mid-table but full of youth products? I think titles. I know what the answer would be. Yeah, titles. exactly. Yeah, no, it's definitely kind of the rock and hard place for some Chelsea fans. But we've talked about that as well, and we definitely share that sentiment. Uh, and I promise we will come back to Loftus-Cheek a little bit later. Mm, uh, yeah, I thought you might. Absolutely. As you can see by the stats, Chelsea dominated in possession, uh, which you would assume, you know, is definitely a hard fought battle with plenty of tackles and defensive effort. But there were some goals in this match. So kicking it off 13th minute, William back to his 2015-2016 ways with a goal from a free kick. But it would be unfair for us not to give the credit that is due to Lee Grant for helping guide it into the near post side netting, Nick. It was really nice of him to... uh to help you know it's almost like he opened his palms and just like go on little guy get in there uh yeah uh this was uh, kind of a sneaky free kick i didn't expect it to be honest with you and uh, it was a weird one because it didn't even really have that much pace change it was just kind of like a a wobbler and i think it just caught grant in a weird position where he couldn't really get his full fists around it and it was close to the post too so it, it was a weird one Mm, I mean, it, 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 it. I think it bounced just in front of him, which didn't help. Uh, but it was it was wonderfully sneaky uh, and and very smart of William to to do that. I think. But I, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, I think you're right. You've got to give a bit of credit to Lee Grant for completely rollicking that one up. And I think he'll be quite embarrassed about that. But uh, fair play to William. Good to see him score again as well. Of course, and you know especially the way Lee Grant finished the match, absolutely on fire. It was uh, definitely two different sides of his uh, performance today that we got to see. But What I would say really quick about William, though, and, and this is something that I think 
we just we look at all years like different players stepping up in different uh, positions. He was the fill in for Hazard uh, for this match, and I think he did an admirable job. You know, he's not even close to Hazard talent wise, but uh, he's another player that, given the opportunity, he steps up and he makes stuff happen. Uh, I think he played a pretty good match considering the physicality that was in there with with that Stoke side. So, uh, you know, this is what. I think Antonio Conte would have been so proud about as a, as a manager is just like he's putting players in positions to succeed and they're succeeding. Do you know what, Nick? I, I, I'm not so sure that William was the replacement for, for Hazard. I mean, I, I grant you that he's not been getting a, a start regularly. In fact, that's one of, I think it's his first uh, start this year, uh, you know, but I could be wrong in the Premier League anyway. But I, I thought Pedro was possibly the, uh, the the better replacement for Hazard. And I thought he was absolutely exceptional. And I think, you know, touching on what you're saying, what pleased me most about Pedro was that, I, I mean, as you know, if you listen to the fan cost, which I know you boys do, you, I, I coated Pedro off for his entire first season, uh, Chelsea, saying he's, yeah, you know, he's a good player, a very good player, but he's just not built for the Premier League. He's too small. He gets bounced off. He can't ride a tackle, yada, yada, yada. I, I, this, I mean, you know, this year he is. I think he's been one of Chelsea's best players. I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I was really upset that he didn't get a game uh, against Man United on Monday because I desperately wanted him to keep up his goal-scoring record of scoring in every round of the FA Cup this year. Um, but he, I, I thought he was brilliant against Stoke, and I think especially when you consider the clattering he was getting regularly. And you know, he's not a big guy. It's not his game. You know, it, it really isn't. And yet he, he is. Not only has he improved, but he's toughened up, and he and he takes it like a man. And and you've got to hand it to him. I thought he was physically up for the fight, and and I thought he was also he had a brilliant game. I mean, you're very lucky not to score a cracking goal. Very true. Uh, Pedro has been a massive turnaround uh, this season. Um, I guess continuing on, 38th minute, Jonathan Walters blasted in a probably fair to say rather controversial penalty, uh, which was also Stokes' first and only shot on goal of the game, Chidge. Yeah, I know. I mean I mean I, I don't blame I don't blame Stoke or Mark Hughes for for the tactics that they had, because frankly that was the only chance that they were gonna get to win the game. But I think the disparity in the quality of the sides, let alone the mentality, was absolutely shown up by the fact that as you said, that was their first and only shot on goal of the game but I have to be honest boys no way was that a penalty no no way I mean it was a, a slight coming together in fact I mean actually to be fair I don't know if you saw match of the day uh, last night but uh, bizarrely for them they, they they covered it quite well and uh, what you saw was I think Cahill actually more trod on uh, the back of Walter's boot and that that's why he went down but what was really revealing to me was that he didn't even look round to the uh, to the referee appealing for a penalty you know, so it was a slight coming together. No way was it a penalty. And I, I personally, I think that the ref, Anthony Taylor, was uh, kind of trying to even things up, as referees often do, because I think that I think that whilst the decision was right to disallow that goal for that push by Berahino on uh, Aspilicueta, you know, I, I, you could say it was a bit harsh, I suppose. So I think he was evening things up a bit. No way was that a penalty. No, well, and you always see this. Brandon's the goalkeeper of our group, but the goalkeeper goes to collect the ball in the air. Usually you see the offensive player, if he's, if he's close enough, try and get out of the way as to mm. not foul the goalkeeper. Right. So it makes it, the sequence of events and the way that happened made total sense to me. Like, yeah, he was trying to go under so that he wouldn't, you know, get a foul 
on Cahill, although, you know, for Stoke in yesterday's match, I don't know why that would have mattered either. He might as well have just clocked him because that was their entire game plan. But mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe it, and especially because Cahill was almost like at the moment where Courtois caught the ball, his hands were like up. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it wasn't even close to being touching him. So it, it was just a, I think you're right. It was a makeup call uh, fairly or unfairly. I think it was just uh, that was kind of going to be their only, their only chance to level things up. And it, and it did for a while. Don't forget that uh, looked pretty clear that Walters was off sides from the beginning. Uh, thankfully, though, 87th minute Captain Cahill coming in clutch to clean up uh, a pretty big scramble in the box. I thought David Luiz did very well to kind of rise up because that ball was leaving the penalty box, and he did well to get up and head it back into uh, kind of the scrum of the box, Nick. But, uh, you know, at the end, um, you know, Cahill just blasted it. Yeah, we said we said this last week. Like He oddly comes up with these, like, scrappy goals because he's always in a good position. It's weird because he he almost has like a striker's instinct um, when it when it comes to these kind of uh, interesting uh, scrappy plays. But uh, again, I think you were right completely on the David Luiz uh, header kind of back that that dropped in. Um, you know, that ball was tailing away from him. That's a hard thing to do, uh, and it's really hard to win set pieces against Stoke. I mean, they're just. They're scrappy and and they are tall and they're physical. So uh, this was a uh, a great goal. I think a really a big moment for Cahill as a redemption point for this match, um, having given up the penalty. But uh, you know, I, again, I think this team just finds a way to get things done. And uh, you know, Antonio Conte celebrating by doing pull ups on the <laughs> on the <laughs> Stoke uh, Stoke side was just incredible. Well, guys, let's just jump into it. Question one, we talked about this a little bit already with Chidge. Uh, Hazard had been finding his form again of late, uh, absolutely tearing it up, passes off his back, just torching runs on Chris Smalling. So how do you <laughs> think Chelsea's attack did against Stoke defensive unit without him? Obviously, we think you had a good idea that uh, Pedro really filled the, the Hazard role and William actually backfilled the Pedro role. Um, well, I, you know, to be honest, I thought we did really, really well. I mean, it, it was, you know, I was pretty busy uh, in the morning before the match. I, I didn't have the chance to go up there, which is always a great shame when you're not there for real. But, uh, you know, I, I heard the news that uh, Hazard wasn't going to play. And, and whilst, you know, unlike a lot of social media, I didn't go into complete meltdown about it. I was a bit worried because, you know, like you said, Hazard has been on fantastic form. Uh, for us recently and has, has been our main as you would expect our main creative outlet but I thought we did really well and I, and I think you know look there are two things to this I think one you have to take into context uh, the way that Stokes set out to you know foul by rota on all of our players and they particularly singled out Costa uh, I thought I thought uh, you know Pedro got a bit of treatment as well I thought what was interesting was that, uh, in fact, actually for me, the funniest moment of the match, I mean, people who have listened to the fan cast before will remember that we used to do a, a thing called a, um, a a Guinness moment, and, and I can't even remember now. But uh, anyway, there was a there was a moment that would, would, would have made me laugh 
well, it did make me laugh, which is when Peters tried to foul William by putting his leg across him and got injured. So that <laughs> yep. tells you that, yeah, yeah, which was a celery moment. There you go. I finally remembered it. You know, so I've only been doing the show nine years. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that, that 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 for me sums it up. I mean, William actually has got a, a fair amount of balls on him and, and is quite physical and he's quite a tough little guy. So number one, they all stood up to the physical challenge. Uh, in Costa's case, he stood up to it without getting himself sent off, which was quite an achievement because they that was clearly Stokes' intention was to try and get him to throw his toys out of the pram and get sent off. But at the same time, they stuck to their game plan. I mean, I, I, I'll be really honest with you guys, and I think that we looked a lot better creatively when Fabregas came on. Uh, you know, he, uh, Stokes started to tire because I think the other thing you need to take account of is that when teams play Chelsea, we give them the runaround. You know, we press and we're, you know, we, we, we keep hold of the ball and they have to do a lot of running. And they, more importantly, I think you, team, teams get mentally tired playing us because you have to be on it, absolutely switched on every second of the game. And that is tiring. So things did open up, I think, towards the end, helped by Fabregas coming on. But I'll tell you who else I, I really impressed me uh, for a slightly different angle of his game. And that was Kante. I mean, we all expect Kante to be running around being three or four players at once. But I saw him putting some superb balls through. And also, you know, in the in the final third, you know, there was a I, I can't remember exactly when, but I have this memory in my head of him being out on the right wing, but beating two or three players and then laying a really good ball off. So we're beginning to see a, another side to Kante's game as well. So cutting a long story short, I thought we did great. And, and frankly, you know, I, I don't think we missed Hazard at all. I think that we played very well created a lot of chances. I mean, we had 20 chances. I think we created something like 20, 20 shots uh, in the game, seven seven of them on target, I think. So I think we did very, very well. And, and I'm really pleased because there is that lingering doubt, isn't there? If Hazard's not fit, my God, what are we going to do? But we survived, more than survived. Yeah, I would I would quickly latch onto that and say when Maddich is in, uh, it gives Kante the, the freedom yeah. to go forward. And that is almost invaluable because we always we always make the comparison of uh, Modic versus Fabregas. You know, like that's the that's the real no. It's really not actually uh, because they play different roles and it allows uh, N'Golo Kante to have a lot more freedom going forward. And I agree with you. I think that when he has that freedom and he's starting to develop his his offensive passing skill set a little bit more this season, we, we've seen that that if he if he gets that part of his game down. I mean, good luck, uh, really. I mean, good luck with that dude because his energy—you're not going to ever beat him for energy. Uh, and if his passing improves on the offensive side, then whew, I think we're in a good spot. No, I, I I would agree. You know, largely for the most part, I thought we were a little bit naive to try to hit some long balls over the top, uh, and even some some of the high crosses because you know obviously Shawcross and Martins Indy are giants, but, you know. But I thought that we did really well at, at getting those through balls on the ground. You know, Chich talked about that Conte and even Alonso getting in and hitting the uh, the low driven crosses because that's where Chelsea were a lot better suited to take on Stokes backline. I mean, we'll run in behind them all day. It's not like it's it's very difficult for William and Pedro and even Costa to turn and run on Shawcross. But, you know, I thought for the most part, uh, it, it being a difficult day, you know, uh, for Chelsea and their front three, I mean, size-wise, if you stacked our front line versus their back line, 
Uh, Pedro and William are running at guys that are good to, you know, double their size. So uh, overall, well, and, and to jump off what you said, Chelsea, again, 20 shots, six on target, two off the woodwork and eight mm-hmm. blocked. I mean, they only miss hit six of those 20. So uh, well done. Free kick was awesome. Yes. And I'm so I'm, I'm gutted for him, honestly, because. Mm-hmm. He is he's a really he's a secret weapon when we get a, a free kick on the right side. Uh he's a secret weapon there because I think you, you had if you're Stoke, if if you go back to that scenario, you had uh William lining up, you had David Luiz and his trademark long run up, and then you had Marcus Alonso with his short, uh kind of staggered run up and you didn't know which way to go. And if you're a goalkeeper, Brandon, in that scenario, like I don't know what you what you guess on. Them missing. you're right you have someone literally a right foot left foot and straight on free kick there's three options it's going to be difficult uh but you know at the end of the day pedro led the team with five shots uh thought he did so well uh diego costa with three we'll touch on him here in a second because people thought he didn't have that effective of a day but if you look at it compared to everyone else you know he's up at the top of the team so with that being said a lot of people were giving Diego Costa a hard time for how he reacted throughout the game he was throwing a fit he was hot-headed etc uh, Nick for all of our listeners that follow us on Twitter I think they know uh, what you thought about it but we also know that Costa is a passionate player and he will never back down from a fight and that's exactly what Shawcross brought to him yesterday so I guess like Go ahead and elaborate a little bit more uh, on your 140 characters from yesterday. <laughs> I didn't need all 140. I told him to calm, <laughs> calm the f down. Uh, this is, I mean, this is not a new tactic from an opposing team. I, I think that's what I get a little annoyed about. And this is, you know, when we think of, you know, quote unquote, bad Diego. This, you know, he he prioritizes his battle over the team's battle, which is to me, you know, not acceptable, but. At the end of the day, you know, you were right. He was getting fouled from not just Shawcross, but from uh, Bardsley, who got sent off, uh, and, and their whole midfield was going after him. Now, I think he he was a little bit flimsy in some of those challenges. He went down really easy a couple of times. That annoys me, because if he's not on his feet, he's not effective. Uh, so, uh, you know, when he's on his feet and he's really driving, and, and he had a couple of opportunities at the end of the game to really kill it off, uh, that's uh, that's where I want to see him, and I think for the most part, you know, ninety five percent of the season he's been good, Diego. It's just these these matches where you can predict he's going to get wound up by the the opponent, and he falls for it. That that kind of gives me pause. You know, Jay Austin on Twitter said, uh, you know, is there anything Chelsea can do when teams choose the tactic of picking out one of our players and kicking him around the entire game, Chidge? And I know that. You know, we've obviously this has been a a, not as bad this season, but, you know, with Hazard over this season since he's pretty much been with Chelsea, this is something that we've had to talk about. And so I guess you defended Stokes tactics from the beginning. Does that kind of cover the whole idea of targeting Costa and just giving him the whackabout? Well, I'll answer this question first, but I I want to come back at Nick about Costa, but I I, I can I can wait on that. But (laughs) look, you know, this is football. It's a professional game. It's about winning. And, you know, Stoke have not got as good a players as Chelsea, period. They are not going to beat Chelsea by playing football. They have a fighter's chance, a puncher's chance, if they play rugby when Chelsea try and play football. And I don't have a problem with that. 
you know, you, they any any opposition will do whatever they have to do to try and win. If, if that means kicking us off the pitch, fair play. I have no problem with that. It's up to us to find a way past it. And, you know, whilst I am a bit old school, and of course, back in the 70s, um, I mean, if you ever if you ever watch the 1970 FA Cup final between Leeds and Chelsea, I mean, I think it was a, a modern-day referee looked at that match and, uh, and re-refereed it and said that something like eight players would have been sent off. And the reason for that was that if you kick one of ours, we're going to kick one of yours. So retribution would go on all the time. There's a wonderful story about Ryan Giggs when he first started playing for Man United and, uh, you know, he was herring down the wing and some hairy-ass right-back was just chopping him down every time. And he looked as though he was about to, you know, shrink like a violet. And Brian Robson, his captain, came and said, don't worry, I'll kick him in a minute and he won't kick you again. And that's exactly what happened. Sadly, these days, it just can't happen like that because people will just get sent off. And, and, and herein lies my point. How do you deal with it? Well, if you do rise to the bait and you enact retribution, you're going to lose because you're going to lose players. And that's kind of what the opposition wants. So you have to you have to not rise to it. You have to allow the referee and back the referee to to do it for you. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, it's absolutely I mean, like the Spurs game, when it all kicked off a couple of years ago, if you remember, yep. we didn't get any protection from the referee. But to Chelsea's absolute credit, they didn't take a step back at all. You know, they didn't shrink like violets. You know, they, they took it. And that's all you can do and just hope that your quality is good enough to beat that team. And I think that, that yesterday's match was a brilliant example of, of how to deal with it. Uh, I think the referee didn't do badly. I think he arguably could have done better. I mean, if you look at what United tried to do to us on Monday, I think, again, the referee didn't do badly. He could have done better. But what he did do by sending Herrera off early was he put a stop to it, you know, because Hazard absolutely ran right after that. Uh, ultimately, I think it depends on what kind of players you've got. I mean, I've said for, for many, many years that I, I do worry about uh, Hazard's, uh, you know, he, he, I think you can kick Hazard out of a game. I think if he gets some really roughhouse treatment, he can disappear. But I, and that's why I was so pleased with Pedro yesterday because I, I would have thought maybe you know he might not be a chap that's up for the fight, but he certainly proved otherwise yesterday because he was getting some shocking treatment, and yet he he turned the other cheek and and you know contributed to a, a fantastic win. And really, guys, that's all you can do. Yeah, I would yeah. I would quickly say oh. though because. It's difficult, you know, when you see Monday, you know, last Monday with uh, United just kicking the hell out of Hazard. I mean, it's blatant, you know, and if yeah, you know, if we see it, and then after 17 minutes, he's on a yellow card, and he didn't get into any trouble whatsoever. I thought he played a blinder yesterday, and I think it's 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 no uh you know no coincidence that Conte heaped praise on Costa's performance yesterday, because he really did in a sense he he played for the team yesterday. I don't I don't think he was playing for himself at all. You know, I think he he took a he took a lot of the aggravation on him because he was always going to be singled out and targeted above the others. So in a, in a sense, he was taking a lot of the kickings that might have been meted out to more of our players because they were doing it in the hope that he would lose his rank and get sent off. And I don't think he did. I I mean, I, I, I agree that. with that. To just like jump in and say I, I thought the same thing. And and just to put in perspective, last season Diego Costa is sent off hundred percent. Like. There's no way he goes 
70, 80 minutes with a yellow card and doesn't get a second, especially with the way that Stoke game went. So I think just in general, like there was, there is an improvement this season compared to last season, just around like the Diego Costa reaction. And I think that if I'm going to get kicked for 90 minutes, like blatantly, I think that like I wouldn't be able to just sit there and take it. I would have at least some reaction and hopefully it's not a terrible one, which we didn't get a terrible one, but like that would be pretty damn annoying to to have to go through, Nick. Oh, look, I think Chidge and I are cut from the same cloth on this one. Like if if that was us in that position, we we would have both been sent off. There's no <laughs> no right, mate. no doubt. Third minute, Nick. Third minute. <laughs> yeah, it would have been <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so like I I guess I'm I'm holding him to a higher standard than I'd hold myself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, I agree with that. Well, you know, I did uh, participate on Twitter for a a half second yesterday and threw out uh, this nice little poll. It says, what are the chances this match ends 11 v 11? And 52% of you said there was 0% chance. Uh, 50% of you thought, or I'm sorry, 36% of you thought there was a 50-50 chance. And a very small 12% of you said, no, 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 this match will end with 11 v 11. And as Ryan Green pointed out on Twitter, Literally the last 20 seconds uh, yeah. put the majority on this poll in the right light. It's you know, backdoor bet right there. Backdoor. Thank you, Bardsley. To be, you know, if you want to be argumentative, kind of like Mark Hughes was after the, the match in the post-match presser, it could have happened sooner. Still could have been down a lot quicker. Uh, but the last point I just want to touch on real quick as we, as we kind of, you know, close out this match review is that this was the first time in a long time that Chelsea – Ended the match with a different backline formation than how they started. So, Chidge, uh, how do you think Chelsea's back four looked? You know, were they comfortable compared to like the three that we've seen all season? And also, tee up for this one is why do you think Conte went with Loftus Cheek compared to someone who would have actually fit the formation and not made us change? Well, forgive me if I'm wrong because my memory is never very good on these things, but I think he was going to bring uh, Chaloba on, wasn't he? But we scored, so he put Loftus Cheek on. But I, I, to be honest, I, you know, I'm not completely familiar with the timeline on that. But I th- the other thing I would say is that I think you know the back, going to back four basically allow, allowed him to to bring Fabregas on, and that was important. And at the end of the day, you know, Stoke were, were no threat really. I mean, I know they had a period in the second half when they kept on getting corners and stuff. But, I mean, you know, how many shots on target did they have? One. It was the penalty. So I think it was a fairly safe thing to do. Um, as for Loftus-Cheek, I mean, if you want to get into that, um, I, I actually thought um, I thought he did all right. I thought it was a good little cameo. He had a – I mean, ultimately, he, he, he made the winning goal, which belies my first answer, didn't it? Because he was on the pitch before it was scored. But, you know, he, you know, he, he, he ran down that defender. I think it was Peters. He then, he then booted it off instead of back to the goalkeeper. Uh, and he also had that run and, and shot that uh, – it wasn't a very good shot, I think, at the end of the day, but he got, at least he got it on target. So I was really quite pleased with what I saw there. And I, you know, the first thought I had, because I think, you know, generally Loftus-Cheek's been quite disappointing for many of us. Uh, you know, clearly people at the club desperately want him to succeed, but he hasn't quite delivered yet. And I think a lot of the issue around it is he just doesn't seem to be able to last 90 minutes. There seems to be an issue with his stamina and his fitness. But what I saw yesterday, I just wondered if we are beginning to see uh, the benefit of Antonio Conte's coaching and management of him. And and I think looking to the future, you know, I, I, I've got a suspicion 
that Conte will be a very good manager for some of these young kids in making them better players. And, and ultimately, I think if you're going to have a, a, a great manager, you want him to make your players better. And I think he's already done it with the likes of Moses and, and Alonso. Nobody would have said these two guys are going to be the two most, one or two of the most crucial players in our side. And that he's made them that. Uh, and, and let's hope he can do the same for some of them coming through, like Ake and Chiloba and Loftus-Cheek. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I was very impressed by uh, by Loftus-Cheek. And I think that we uh, everyone agrees that he doesn't really, you know, in, in the past he didn't really have a natural position that he was trying to fill, you know, and I think with that comes a natural set of like tasks that you're supposed to achieve as a player on the pitch. You know, like if you're a holding midfielder, you know what your job is. If you're an advanced midfielder, you know what your job is. If you're a winger, you know what your job is. He, he didn't really have that uh, and didn't really have a, a manager in the past that was willing to like set him in a position. I think what we're seeing now is especially as part of a front three, you know, he's he's going to be out on the left. And I think he's starting to develop confidence because he knows that's where he's going to eventually be played. Uh, and that, to me, is huge for him. It's huge because, uh, you know, he is a physical specimen, guys. Like, he is huge and fast. I think he has all the technical ability in the world. He needs to improve his shooting, and he should have scored yesterday. That that was I was hoping that for him so badly because that would have just been great. Uh, but... You know, I, I agree with you, Chase. I think that the minute that Antonio Conte stood up to Diego Costa at the end of the the Leicester match back in October or something like that was the minute that the rest of these young guys probably fell right in line. Uh, and he, I think he's going to be brilliant for them. And I think from a stamina standpoint, uh, if if anyone can get Ruben Loftus Cheek to be a, a ninety plus minute player, it's going to be Antonio Conte. I thought it was an interesting substitution as well. Um, maybe even getting outside the formation discussion, uh, probably because we really haven't seen him at all this season. You know, in in January there are even rumors about him going on loan since uh, it looked like Shalaba and Mishi seemed to be ahead of him, depending on as Nick you just talked about whatever position you put him in. So hopefully this was just a reaction to the quality that Ruben's been showing in training because he looks so sharp and lively. You know, there was no concern about him not being fit and being able to chase players down. Uh, this was a man that came on the field and he just was shot out of a cannon. He was he was ready to go. And I thought he had a, a really positive impact uh, on this match. So I don't know, maybe a new haircut, new player. There it is. <laughs> If only it were that easy. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and, uh, tr- you know, ask our true false. Uh, speaking of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, true or false, will he be a regular starter for Chelsea FC in his career at some point? Nick? I, I really hope so. I would do. I mean, I think when you look at the, the transfer window this summer, it might not be for a couple of years. Um, I'm sure we're going to go get someone up top. I'm sure we're going to get another midfielder. Uh, and and maybe even strengthen the defense to be more Champions League ready. So I, I mean, a couple of years maybe. Chidge, I mean, obviously he has a lot ahead of him, but do you think that there is a chance that he will become a regular starter? God, I mean, I, I, I like like Nick, I really really hope so, but uh, you know, it's so hard to tell. I mean, it kind of uh, you know goes back to what I was saying earlier on about the the dichotomy we have. Uh, with our youth players and and being at Chelsea, um, you know the level of expectation, uh, you know, is so high. You know, 
when when a manager comes to Chelsea, they come to Chelsea because it's a big club, you know, and 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 we are competing for you know both domestic and European trophies. And managers like players want to win stuff. Looks good on their CV, apart from everything else. So they're going to do anything that they can to do that. And the first thing that they're going to do is to try and get the owner to open up the checkbook to buy players that they, you know, the best players that they can, so that they can help them do that. And therefore, you know, they're not ever really, you know, at this level going to be saying, I'll tell you what, rather than go and buy uh, Verratti or so, or Maratta or somebody like that, I'll go and stick half the youth in. And maybe, you know, maybe like have a year or two where we don't get, get into it. They're not going to do it. And I think that kind of reality is what makes me pause and say, well, I just don't know, you know, because the reality is, is that any of our youth players have got to be so, so good, number one, to get any sort of a look in and then be so lucky to get an opportunity and and then really make the grade because of that. And it, it, it frankly, it's just all stacked against them these days. You know, I mean, I remember... Uh, when uh, John Terry broke through, and at the time we had, uh, you know, LeBeuf kicking around, and we had, you know, World Cup winner for God's sake, and we had Marcel Desailly, another World Cup winner, uh, and 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 the world captain of the, uh, of the French side when they won the World Cup, uh, and yet John Terry not only broke through, but he supplanted Desailly. He ended his career at Chelsea because he was that good. You know, and it was an easy decision to make. But I just wonder now, even now, I wonder if that was the same now. If John Terry was breaking through, would would he would he have got that opportunity? Would they have had the balls to stick by him? We are a very very different club now than we were in the late 1990s, early 2000s when John Terry broke broke through. And that, that's what kind of gives me pause and a bit of concern that that any of these guys might break through. No, that's a really good point. Obviously, something to take into account. Uh, it's it's definitely changed, uh, you know, when you can buy the best players in the world. But listeners, let us know what you think specifically on the Ruben part. Twitter, Facebook, email, Instagram. You guys know how to get in contact with us. But let's go ahead and do uh, if there's any other thoughts before we wrap this one up. Uh, did I miss anything that you guys wanted to bring up? Nick, we'll kick it off with you before we do your man of the match poll. I don't think so. I mean, it was just a rough and tumble game. You know, the there are, there are less, you know, singular moments in a match like this, and more just collective effort um, that I think you know we just need to point out and credit our team for for fighting through. Chidge. Um, well, I, I mean, you know, if you just want to, I mean, I think I think you know we're, we've come to that point where we're just summing the whole game up, really. And, uh, and I, there are defining moments of a season. And, and and to you know yesterday felt like one you know that that it's an old cliche and an old joke that we have in the Premier League in England which says ah oh, you know but can they do it on a cold wet night at Stoke <laughs> you know it's it's always seen as that kind of barometer you know if you can't if you can't go and win there then you're not going to be champions you're not worthy champions well we did you know not only did we go there and win. We won there against a side that basically tried to kick us out of the game for 90 minutes, and we did it without arguably our best player. That was a real mark to lay down. And again, I go back to it. I think, you know, th- th- these people in football, they're not idiots. They know their stuff, you know. And it was no coincidence to me that both Conte and the players were just so pumped up at the end of that game. They knew how important it was getting three points up there. 
you know, with all of those obstacles in front of them. And they know how significant it will be in the running. And they know the kind of marker it will lay down to the, to, you know, to the, the very few rivals that we actually have left for the title now. Yeah, I would quickly say, too, has anybody ever had more fun or done more in a suit than Antonio Conte? <laughs> Brilliant, isn't he? I, I mean, <laughs> that suit just must be made of, of flexible material to do pull-ups and dive into the crowd and, you know, kick the hell out of the ball that's coming his way. I mean, it's it's insane. So whoever is uh, their tailor for the club is doing an excellent job. It's fantastic. It's fantastic when you think about it. You know, I just want to point out poor Thibaut Courtois had a zero percent save percentage last night, and that's because he only <laughs> saved. He only had one shot, and it was a penalty. So, uh, poor, poor guy. Um, all right. Well, man of the match poll. So, Nick, I see you finally created a a really solid poll here for the listeners and everyone on Twitter. And then your phone goes ahead and trolls you instead. Yep, yep, <laughs> that's right. So I was doing this. I went and watched the match at a at a, the uh, the Dubliner in KC and had a, had a good crowd down there um, to uh, to watch the match. And I was doing I did the poll on my phone and it auto corrected William to William, obviously. Uh, so yes. It's hilarious, and yes, I got all forty of your messages <laughs> after. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's what happened there. But uh, David Louise, forty-two percent of our poll won um, the annual or the uh, the weekly Ingolo Conte Man of the Match poll um, that we do, and I think he was just tremendous yesterday and uh, really provided solid leadership uh, and and dealt with uh, their aerial threat incredibly well. I'm going to troll you now, now uh, Nick. Where's Pedro in that? See, I only have four slots, Chidge. This is our this is our weekly battle that we go through with uh, with the man of the well, match. Well, Pedro pool. should have beat man of the match, let alone not even in the top four. Oh <laughs> come on, really? Yeah, I, seriously. And there are, uh, do you know what? Uh, there were a lot of people that I follow on Twitter that were pretty much the same opinion. Well, that's why you follow them. Yeah. Plus, because they know their football guy. <laughs> e- echo chamber over there, Chidge. <laughs> well, yeah, as as it stands uh, in, uh, in the Premier League, Chelsea still on top on 69 points. Tottenham and Man City uh, trailing with 59 and 57. They've all played 28 games. Liverpool uh, with the draw today. Uh, sitting in fourth on 56, but they've actually played a game more. And then United and Arsenal down in fifth and sixth, respectively, and only played 27 games. So it is still an absolute cluster up at the top. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it looks great when Chelsea are unbeaten in the last five-plus matches and uh, huge, huge healthy lead as we um, pretty much just head into the – the last stretch, I guess Chelsea have, what, 10 games left? Nine? Yeah, nine, ten, ten? 10 Premier League matches because Watford and... Yep. Pa- which one? We have two... Southampton. Southampton, yeah, those are going to be rescheduled. I don't no idea when, but sometime. Well, that's how it stands. So we're going to go ahead and take a really quick break. You know, get a drink of water, refresh ourselves, and then we'll be back to answer your social media questions. Here we go. Hey, Brandon, if, if people wanted to follow us on a social media account and get exclusive content, where would they uh, where would they do that? Well, it probably depends on what you want to see, because if you want to see kind of how we make the pod and what we do behind the scenes to, you know, pull this magical event off, I would recommend heading over to Instagram. Instagram is uh, is a cool channel, and that's where we we display a lot of our our 
photos and videos. Brandon makes special mini pods for that channel that are easy to get to. Uh, we also put up photos from Chris Axon, who's a friend of the pod, who, who's at almost every match and is shooting photos like a, a madman. So head on over to Instagram. Uh, we're at London Blue Pod, uh, same as our Twitter, and follow us. All right, it is now on to the social media questions. Before we kick that off, we had a huge result for the U18s. As Chelsea FC tweeted out, it was a great night at Stamford Bridge for our under-18s, beating Spurs 7-1 to to reach another FA Youth Cup final. Nick, this was 9-2 <laughs> on aggregate, and Jody Morris was absolutely pumped, obviously the U18 coach, uh, giving props not only to the lads and staff, but, you know, just – He's excited that this great club is in another final, no matter what level. Uh, you know, when when you beat Spurs, arch enemy, nine two, uh, in a in a semifinal. I mean, at any level, I think that's really impressive. Uh, let alone our our U eighteens, which have had this like crazy run in the FA Youth Cup uh, over the last almost three quarters of a decade. Uh, Chidge, it's it's pretty impressive to see kind of the the youth development at all levels not only just on the in the Premier League squad they they are utterly utterly remarkable and I, I didn't actually see it yesterday uh, to my shame and and don't tell anybody who's listening this but I chose to watch the rugby uh, afterwards and sadly the paddies uh, gave the, uh, the my boys a bit of a smacking but there we go but uh, this this youth side, I mean, this is the sixth uh, final in a row they've been in, and I've been very privileged that I've been to a lot of them, uh, and they're great little evenings. I mean, you only get about five thousand people in the in the stadium, so it kind of reminds me of when I, you know, have been in the past when we were not so good. Uh, <laughs> but they they you know they are phenomenal, and it doesn't seem to matter who is in charge of them because it does change a fair bit. Uh, they still perform, and the other thing that I think is remarkable is the quality of the football that they play. That's what staggers me. I mean, these are young kids, you know, and and they play absolutely superb football. Um, so that's great. But I kind of go back to what we were saying earlier on. You know, I, there's a there's an ache in my heart in terms of well, what happens to them next? Because so few of them seem to be able to make that step up and make the grade at Chelsea as a first team player, and 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 it really really saddens me. And I, you know, as I said earlier on. As well, you know, I don't want to sacrifice winning the huge amount of uh, trophies and, and titles that we win just as an excuse to get the youth in. But I would dearly love to see some of them make the grade. It, it, you know, if if you if you grow up supporting Chelsea and, and and you're lucky enough to live in the Manor, there is nothing like having a local boy uh, make the grade uh, and play for the first team. It, it really is special. So. I really hope that, that can happen. But obviously, I wish them luck in the final. And as you said, there is nothing like beating Spurs. I mean, I would settle for a 1-0 coming off somebody's arse. But to smash them 9-2 <laughs> on aggregate is absolutely fantastic. It is. It, it's exceptional. Um, you know, at the same time, I think that if Chelsea can also just breed these players and they can still go on to have a, a future as a professional footballer, uh, you know, they have done them a great service. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the dream is to always play for your hometown local team. Uh, but just being able to make a career out of it is is definitely the number one priority. So hopefully they can, you know, use this to, to jumpstart their careers. 
A uh, question from at Luke Harbour saying, can we talk about Marcos Alonso and why people think he is the weak link in the team? He doesn't believe there's any evidence for that at all. And he thinks maybe it's because he's a bit of an unknown quantity before he got to Chelsea. Uh, Chidge, I guess we haven't really talked about, you know, Marcos Alonso to you and also, I guess I'm interested to hear if you think he is the weak link in the team or not. I think it's absolute bollocks, mate. And I'm bored stupid of it. I really, really am bored bored stupid of it um i don't i don't know what planet it is that people live on i mean that you know we get this kind of particular supporter who uh you know thinks okay you know now we're now we're uh, one of the top five to ten teams in the world then we just have to have a side full of galacticos uh like barcelona or real madrid um or they they spend too much time playing fifa 17 you know, where they can choose the best players in the world to go and play for Chelsea, and it all looks great. Football is a team... I'm trying very hard not to swear here, but football is a team game. Okay, football is a fucking team game, you yes. idiots. Get with the fucking programme. The bottom line is... I mean, I always... I, do you know what I always go back to? Because I've had this argument in the pub with people. And uh, one of the earliest football memories I have is when England won the World Cup in 1966. Admittedly, I was only one, but I was England's greatest fan. But the bottom line <laughs> is, I, I, I grew up with that. And they were not the best 11 individuals, individual players in the world by a long shot. There were some average players in that side. But the bottom line is, they had a fantastic manager who uh, basically built them into a great team. And that is the point. And this is what Antonio Conte does. He makes great teams, teams that win trophies. It's not about having the best 11 players in the world. You just need the best team. And, fr- and right now, I mean, my God, you know, you're right. I mean, Alonso played for Sunderland, I think, and he was he looked, he looked rubbish, didn't he, playing for them. Moses never really looked that much when he played for other people out on loan. But they put him in a team with good players in a good system that works, and they are making a massive contribution. Now, just to kind of uh, underline this point, you know, uh, I, I saw a very interesting p- uh, bit on the on the telly before the game yesterday. They had Matt Letizia talking about Chelsea and who he might go and buy in the summer. Um, and he said the same. He said, well, I, c- I don't see any weaknesses there. Who would you replace? It all works. And to a certain degree, he's right. Although next year we're going to have to compete in more competitions and in Europe. And I do believe we need better depth. And you know what? If you can get better players to come in, that's great. I don't have a problem with that. But I get really fed up with people digging out, you know, several players in the side because they're not quite the best players in the world. They're in a bloody good team playing really, really well. What more do you want? Yeah, I would would quickly say I think this is where uh, confirmation bias becomes a thing. You know, if if you – if when Marcus Alonso signs for the team, you don't think he's worth anything and you continue that because it's what you think all year, regardless of what he's actually doing on the pitch, then I, I don't have time for you at that point. You know, I, I've criticized him for some performances where he wasn't so good, just being honest about it and saying, look, he wasn't great today. But then we've also come back and said, hey, he was phenomenal here. He's whipping in crosses. He's doing great defensively. Uh, I think you're your general take on him can be good. Uh, you, you can you can keep a consistent point about a player, but you can't let the facts distract from what you want to think. Like, he's played really, really well, especially since, I think, 
uh, Nathan Ake has come back to the team because I think that might have just, just been the fire to start you know him back up because he didn't really have any competition, and it's it's hard to keep going when no one's really pushing you. So I look to say that any of these players right now are not living up to you, the fans' expectation. I, I think is just a little silly. Now I've I've had problems with Hazard and attitude stuff in the past, and same with Courtois, some of these guys. But like they're phenomenal, phenomenal players. They really are. Like and we we might hold them to a little bit higher standard because we do weekly shows and we have to talk about something. Uh, but in general, I don't think that anyone on Chelsea is shit. Not one. Mm. All right. Well, moving it along at Pythus Dilemma says, a great pot as usual. <laughs> Thank you. But what do you guys <laughs> think about these rumors concerning Lukaku back to CFC? Would it be a good move? Uh, if I don't mind, I think that it would be not the greatest because um, Lukaku's link-up play is nowhere close to Costa's. So I think that if you know he's obviously a great finisher right now, um, but Chelsea, like Diego Costa, enables our wingers to also get involved and be very active and play combination passes, and I just don't think Lukaku can do that. So uh, my other point is, I would not trade Lukaku for Costa either Nick no 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 uh, look Lukaku <laughs> if you look at both of their games and and you're a simpleton who just thinks that goal is scored is the most important part of a striker you know good luck with that and probably go back and, and play FIFA but um I, I I there's no comparison between these two forwards in their complete game right now I mean Diego Costa tracks back uh, in, de- in defense and like works as a part of a unit. Um, Lukaku is a, a great striker, and at his age, we've had Jake Cohen on our show who uh, you know loves Lukaku. You know, especially for his age and his production in the Premier League, he is truly remarkable in that regard. I mean, he's he's only twenty three, and I I think he's edging towards a hundred Premier League goals or something like that. Um, so he he's just fantastic. I wouldn't mind him in tandem with Costa. But that would mean a, a system change to a three-five-two, where we actually have two center forwards who can occupy space. In that regard, he could be deadly. But I think you nailed it dead on, Brandon. Three-five-two has been rumored for this summer, uh, so I kind of have to see. But that's a long ways away. We've got business to handle before that, everyone. Uh, Last question from at Timothy Penny. Uh, I really want to get this to Chidge because you have a much better perspective than I think some of us. Uh, he asked, what do we think of JT's impact this season? Not playing, but surely has had something to do with leadership behind the scenes. Oh, that's absolutely spot on. I mean, you know, uh, JT has been the lifeblood of that club for 20 odd years. Um, and, you know, he, he is the absolute embodiment of a leader. Uh, and I'm sure that he's, uh, you know, supported Antonio Conte since the minute he arrived. And I think Conte's alluded to that, actually, hasn't he? I, I think, he, you know, he would be happy to keep JT there um, because of the influence that JT has in and around the club. Um, although I've also heard stuff this week saying that, um, you know, he won't get another he won't get another playing contract. Um which I think, given given the, the the you know the little amount of playing time he's had this season and the players he got coming through, you can understand. Um, but it'll be a very very sad day for many of us, uh, you know, if JT does leave the club because you know he's been absolutely the fabric of it, you know, since the since the day he turned up there. But I mean, you know, 
We talked about this earlier, didn't we, I think, Nick and, and Brown, and we were talking about the lack of leadership in, in, in football these days. And uh, it, it, it's not to be underestimated. And whilst I think that, you know, we do probably have more leaders than we did uh, a year or two ago. I mean, Louise, I think, is a leader. Gary Cahill, in his own way, is a leader. I mean, he's not a big shouter, but I think, you know, I think he, he, he the way he plays, actually, I think it, it shows leadership. I think Costa, in his own way, is a leader. Um, so I don't think I don't think we're as, as badly off for leaders as we might have been. But, you know, not one of those guys goes anywhere near what JT is like as a leader. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's had an impact behind the scenes, definitely. Oddly enough, I think Dave might be the closest thing uh, to JT in the squad, but not in like a vocal way. I think just in the way that he he stands up and his it's presence, Nick, as well. Yeah, his, his you know. His, yeah, I mean it has to be, and D- Dave is always the guy who's uh, account. Like he, he seems like the most accountable guy in that back line to me. You know, he's always there, um, and and just ready for anything. So I, there, you're right though. There's no way that you can replace John Terry uh, on or off the pitch for Chelsea. It's impossible. Same with Frank Lampard. Same with Didier Drogba and all these. Yeah, they're the one greats. offs. They're one offs. Yeah. They are, and they, and they all just happen to play in the same team and did amazing things for you know, 10, 15 years, which is, you know, you kind of look at it now and how lucky was that whole deal? (laughs) If you want a comparison, Nick, and I mean, this was, you know, slightly before even my time, but if you were a United fan and you used to watch United in the 60s when they had George Best, Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law playing, I mean, that's kind of what we got for the last 10, 15 years with Chelsea when we we watched a side with Petr Cech, uh, John Terry... Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba play, you know mm-hmm. it, that happens once in a lifetime when you get that amount of world class players playing for one side. I think we we were we've been blessed. We've been very very lucky. There's no doubt about it. When Antonio Conte brings Terry on away games, but yet he's not even in the match day squad, that tells you how important it is. So it'll be interesting to see if he doesn't get another playing contract this summer. If he does finally leave to go somewhere else to play. Or if he decides to just join the, the 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 staff, I suppose, in some some way. But only time will tell. So with that being Brandon, said, sorry, sorry, can I just yeah. can I butt in? I know I, I hate to do this because I know how annoying it is when people do it to me on my show. But <laughs> go for I, it. I, I just I just because this is an interesting point to make about that about whether John Terry will go and play somewhere else. I have a suspicion that he might, because one thing about JT is he's very savvy with the media. Very, very savvy with the media. When the whole contract negotiations were going on, he's not averse to leaking things out, putting them out to to, to try and muster up some support. And if you remember, Frank Lampard, uh, in some interview somewhere the other week, also said, well, if John Terry plays for somebody else, it won't in any way diminish his legacy with Chelsea. Why do you think Frank was saying that? Yeah, I mean, that makes it makes sense. And I think, too, you know, in real time, everything stings more. You know, JT leaves, everyone's going to throw a fit, right? You know, that's just what happened when, when Lampard left. And, you know, Drogba to a, less, a lesser extent because he had just achieved the greatest thing in, in the entire world at that point. But three, four years from now, if it happens, if he goes to play for an MLS club or another club in England, which I, I don't know if he would do, but... Regardless, if he goes somewhere else and plays three, four years from now, when he comes back to the club and he's, 
you know, worked his way through the coaching badges that he has to go through and is, is part of the club again, no one's going to care. Right? And, and they shouldn't. I mean, the thing about these guys is they were, they've all been such servants to the club that I think it's just, uh, really disingenuine for people to assume that because they leave, they're somehow traitors or something. It's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. Well, they're also professionals. They get paid to play football. You know, it, the only the only loyalty you get in football is from the supporters, and even that's changing. But I mean, traditionally, the only loyalty you get in football is the supporters. These guys are paid a lot of money to play football, and if he thinks that he's got more football in him, and Chelsea don't want to play him anymore because they don't think they have, then he's got every right to go and earn a living playing football. He really, really has. And the other thing is, Nick, is that. You know, I think the situation with Lampard's very different. I, I, I think there'll be less people having an issue this year if JT leaves than they would have done last year because I think clearly we've now seen that perhaps he's not quite the player that he used to be. Whereas, whereas with Frank, you knew that he still had, you know, some goals in the tank, you know, and I yeah. think that really hurt when he went, particularly when he went to City you know, and started scoring against us. I, I think the situation, you might find that it'll be slightly different with JT. Yeah, I would I would say too. There was uh, I listened to a lot of uh, American uh, sport talk radio, and there's a you know every NFL player who would come on would tell you the same thing. Like the the media will try and retire you before you want to retire, before your body says that you should retire. And I think some of us as fans just have this um, you know kind of magical scenario in our head where JT just willingly says all right well i'm done now and i'm gonna be a manager for the club and you know all this kind of stuff and it's like no man he probably wants to keep playing until he physically can't anymore because mm -hmm. it's the only thing he knows and a lot of these guys when they get done playing have no idea what their life's going to be like because it's the only well, thing they've ever done i was talking to because uh, you know you know i do a weekly show with kerry dixon which is just like you know, I have to pinch myself on a Thursday morning to say I'm t talking to one of my all-time heroes today. But I was talking to him off air the other day, and you know, he was saying to me that he he still played regularly until he was 45 for like you know non-league sides and and just like Sunday sides. Yeah. And he did it because he loved playing football. That's right. what he was put on this earth to do. He loves to play for. He said he he wasn't getting paid any money for it. He just loved playing football. He did it till he was 45. Yeah. So you know. You need to remember this thing. This is what these guys do. They play football, and, and you know, it's it's very hard for them to stop doing it. And if they can still do it at the top level and they can still get paid a lot of money for doing it, they're going to do it. Well, that's, that's what's amazing. Final point on this. That's what's amazing about guys like JT and, and like, uh, Buffon, you know, guys who have been around forever, been around the block, and are still producing at a high level. They, Maldini, you know, some of these guys, because it's – so much hard work and and we kind of pan it off as like man if i had that opportunity i'd go and kill it no you wouldn't <laughs> most of us <laughs> uh, me included like i would think that but there's no way i i just don't have it and, and jt does and i think that's kind of the point all right well i'm just gonna go ahead and wrap it up with uh a nice little plea that minnesota united's backline is shit jt so if you'd like to come be an instant <laughs> hero glad to have you all right, let's go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. Last break, and then we'll do a nice little special with Chidge while we've got him. Here we go. Really quick, listeners, use our referral link. Go to worldsoccershop.com. Uh, home kits right now, fifty nine ninety nine. about the cheapest you'll get them until they go on clearance at the end of the year. Uh, so in case you want to get one of these bad boys uh, before 
uh, Chelsea inevitably go on this title title charge at the end of the year. Do that. Use a referral link, uh, and it's the best way to support our show. Back to you, Brandon. All right. Well, here we go. We you know normally do a match preview, but it's an international break next week, so we wanted to take a little bit of time to talk to. Uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust, I guess, chairman, president, yeah. CEO? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, goodness me, Brandon. Do your research, for God's sake. No, I know you like um, our, our American terms of CEO and president. And... Oh, no, I, I thought you said CPO. Sorry, my apologies. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. We know no, the no, Chelsea I'm, pitch owners. I'm, what is it? I'm chief executive vice president. That's yeah. what they like to call it in, in the... In the in the states everybody's a vice president of something exactly Possibly mike pence but let's not get political anyway um the bottom line is is that uh, as you may well know the trust has been going for about four or five years now and uh tim rolls who i know you know well as, as do i did a fantastic job as chairman and uh he felt after three or four years it was time to stand down which he did and uh i got duly elected in august to be the second chairman of the chelsea supporters trust which as you can imagine um you know having been in it from the start is is a huge privilege and honor and also an awful lot of work i have to tell you um which is uh, which is not easy but you know it, it's such a worthwhile thing to do it, it's a real as i said it's a it's a it's a pleasure and a privilege so to do so what is the current kind of project you guys have going on? Uh, we've definitely seen stuff on it on uh, social media. So what is the project? And then give us just a little bit I'll, of background. Yeah, I'll tell you about the, the crowdfunding thing as well. But I mean, just, just generally, since I've come in, what we've tried to do is we've tried to uh, really have a little bit more responsibility for everybody who's involved on the board and a little bit more accountability. And one of the things that we do is that we have a membership survey every year, and out of that come a lot of motions, uh, which we then put forward in, in our election. And the members vote on these motions. Those motions then become our mandate for the year and our policy for the year. And what I've done is that I've reorganized things so that we have about four or five working groups who look after all of the key areas of what we're involved in. So things like supporter issues, so ticketing, touting, kickoff times, that kind of thing, safe standing, atmosphere, uh, all the affiliations we have, because one of the things that the trust does, it works with people like Supporters Direct, who uh, basically are the umbrella organization for all the supporters' trust. We've worked with the people like the Football Supporters Federation, the Chelsea Pitch Owners, um, all sorts of people like that. And another and another thing that we do is, is community. We have a, a community working group. And one of the most active things we've done with that is that we have a cleanup group who quite regularly go over to Brompton Cemetery, which is situated right next to Stamford Bridge. Uh, and there are quite a lot of Chelsea-related graves there. And uh, the guys and the girls, they go go there, you know, once every kind of three or four months, and they, they clean up and tidy up all of the Chelsea-related graves. Now, in amongst all of that, uh, Rick Glanville, who is the official Chelsea historian and an absolutely super bloke, he kind of almost by accident discovered that uh, there was a, a former Chelsea player, in fact, the only former Chelsea player buried uh, in the cemetery. But because uh, he died, uh, I mean, he didn't have, you know, he was pretty poor when he died. So he, he's in what they call a common grave. So it's unmarked. And of course, you know, we felt, well, we need to do something about this. We can't have a, a former player uh, not being noted by a, a memorial gravestone or anything like that. So we thought, well, what we'll do what we'll do is we'll crowdfund it and try and raise the money 
to not only pay for what I think they call it a ledger, so it'll be like a flat, flat, uh, flat stone slab with an inscription on it, uh, but you also have to pay for uh, the plots and you have to lease it from Brompton Cemetery, all sorts of other complicated things. So it all comes to about £5,500 to do that. Uh, and we launched the campaign about a day before the 10th of March, which, of course, is Chelsea's official birthday. And uh, in, in just over a week, we've raised 58% of, 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 of what we need. So we're now at about 3,239 quid. So people have been incredibly engaged. Uh, the press have got, all, got hold of it. We've been doing interviews left, right and centre. And people have been incredibly generous because I think they recognise that, A, this is quite a special project. And, and I think for us, it was, it was also very important that this was a fan-led thing that this was actually kind of up to us to look after one of our own and it's up to us to dip our hands in our pocket and organise it rather than doing perhaps what the easy thing would be to do with a very, very rich club with a very, very rich owner, which is say, do you mind if you wanted to pay for this? So we felt very strongly that it had to come from us and that's what we've done. That's awesome. Um, Chidge, you know, every year one of the big uh, talking points around uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust is the membership survey. I mean, this is kind of the lifeblood, like you said, of, of the entire group. Um, of the major talking points, you don't have to get into every little detail, of the major talking points, what were the uh, the, the consensus uh, large issues that the, the fans brought up? Well, I, forgive me, Nick. I, sh I should have also said, really, uh, just if you allow me to tell people where this crowdfunding campaign is, it's for a guy called Jack Whitley, right. uh, who, who played – he was a goalkeeper for Chelsea – uh, and he played uh, between the years of 1907 and 1914. And he then went on to be a trainer at Chelsea. So basically, he, he was you know, associated with the club for 32 years. And the inscription that we're going to get is, in the affectionate memory of John Jack Whitley, uh, 11th of April 1878 to 5th of July 1955. So he died about two months after we won the title for the first time. Loyal servant of Chelsea FC for 32 years, goalkeeper and first team trainer who asked to be buried next to his beloved Stamford Bridge, funded by Chelsea FC supporters 2017. So that's what we want to get on the slab. And you can go there and donate by going to www.justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Jack hyphen Whitley hyphen grave. And that's W-H-I-T-L-E-Y. Sorry for not mentioning that earlier, chaps. And now I'll answer your question. Um, the thing about the survey is that, I mean, we've been doing it now. I think this is the third or fourth year that we've been doing it. And I think, you know, in, in many re respects, it's probably the single most important thing that we do because clearly we are framing, you know, the content of the survey, although we, we keep about 90% of it the same year on year so we can track changes. But it's the one way that we can engage with the membership as a whole and really get a grip on how they feel about what we think collectively are the most important issues at the club. Um, so that being the case, um, you know, nearly every year, ticket prices and atmosphere tend to be ranked about the most important issues for supporters. But uh, uh, this year, uh, because, of course, we finished this uh, last uh, kind of May-June time, uh, and as you can imagine, that was not a particularly successful season for us, and that tends to have an effect. But... People were very aerated about uh, our lack of on-pitch success, uh, the lack of youth player development, the poor transfer policy and the management's ability. So there's a lot of very interesting uh, feedback on that. But I think, you know, in terms of this year's or, or last year's uh, survey, I think the thing that we, we did that was most interesting from a, from a perspective going forward 
is that we included a section on the temporary stadium. I mean, obviously, we don't know where it is yet, although uh, now, uh, unlike when we did the survey, we do know that Stamford Bridge is at least going to be redeveloped. Uh, so at the time, um, the mooted uh, temporary stadia were going to be either, you know, Stratford, West Ham's ground, Twickenham or Wembley. So we got some really, really interesting feedback about what people felt about that, because I think there was a gut feel that, you know, people would be pissed off and nobody would want to go. The reality is, is that Wembley is seen as the uh, least offensive potential location. Uh, West Ham's ground, the worst. And Twickenham was was, you know, not far short of Wembley. Um, but also it looks as though most people are OK uh, with well I say okay but I mean you know they're all right to move temporarily people get that you know we have no choice we're going to have to move somewhere and actually it's for the greater good which is to have a, a wonderful new stadium but I think for us the key thing that comes out of this is uh, because we have a lot of qualitative data in there as well as just the you know box ticking stuff but I think a lot of thought has to go in to how we manage this move to a temporary location, because there's no doubt that it's going to create a lot of aggravation for people. It's going to get take a lot of people more time to get there. It's going to take people, you know, a lot more money uh, to to travel there. Um, there are, you know, Wembley. If it is Wembley, there are no really good places to go and have a drink before. So a lot of thought is going to have to go in between the club and us, who get to talk to them fairly regularly about how to best manage that. Uh, on the other hand, I think there's also a fantastic opportunity, you know, wherever we go, if it's a much bigger venue than the one that we're currently playing in, to, I think, have a much more aggressive pricing strategy so that you can, you know, get a lot of the youngsters coming in. Also figuring out how you, you know, put like-minded supporters together so that you can promote a really good atmosphere. So there's a lot of opportunities as well as things that need to be managed. And I think that what the survey will do is it will help us to put that case to the club. I mean, that's fantastic. And obviously, I know that uh, the stadium redevelopment is a big thing, you know, even for international fans who may be looking to go visit in the coming years and things. Um, but it will be it will be interesting to see how all that goes. But as always, like if, you know, our 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 mandatory plug, if you're not a member, uh, all of us are definitely go do it. We retweet out all this stuff uh, and help keep you guys informed because it's a really good way to be an active participant, even if you aren't living, you know, in England or even London. So, uh, again, Chish, thank you for the awesome update. And I think we'll go ahead and end this episode uh, just real quick with the international break roundup. Uh, Obviously, uh, yeah, I know there's no games this weekend, but the good news, it is the last international break of this season. Um, most of the teams will be doing World Cup qualifying sprinkled in with some friendlies for those who, well, just aren't very good. Uh, Chelsea's players, where will they be? Well, Spain did call up Diego Costa, Pedro and Aspilicueta. Brazil only called William up, but we'll go ahead and let David Luiz relax. That'll be that'll be good for us, I think. Um, Bosnia will take Begovic, so he'll get some game time. Belgium took Batshuayi, Courtois, Hazard. England, obviously taking Cahill. France, Conte, and Serbia, Matic. So make sure to uh, give some guys a, 
a watch if you have some time this weekend. Uh, we'll figure out what we can do from a podcast standpoint, but uh, you know it'll be the last kind of week off for guys to uh, travel, see their national teams, maybe have a weekend off before we we just bring this season to a wrap, gentlemen. It's going to be an intense last you know 10, 8, 12 games, depending on who is left in the Premier League season. Yeah, I mean, this is... This last international break is a killer. I think they all kind of ruin momentum uh, of the season. So uh, I would really hope uh, that no one gets hurt while they're out there and uh, everyone comes back and just kind of continues the uh, the run that we're on. Just to, to put my tuppence worth in here, I, I have a suspicion that Hazard won't go. Yeah, I, uh, think, I think he's which out Which is now. good, which is good for us. And, of course, I shall be spending the entire week shitting a brick that Kante doesn't get injured because I think if we were to lose him, that would just be, you know, a disaster because he is so, so, so the uh, most important player for us. I have to be honest, I have very little time for the international break. I think it's very annoying and I'd rather be watching Chelsea next week, but there you go. Listen, just a quickie, by the way, I should have, should have also said, as far as the Chelsea supporters trust is concerned, please, you know, I know a lot of, uh, we have, we have such a lot of members from the States so first of all, I wanted to say thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. But uh, A, please join. It's only a f- it's five quid to join up to be a voting member. It's easy to do. Just go to ChelseaSupportersTrust.com. But the other thing is, is that one of the working groups, we've now got, uh, we've now got Dan Silver specifically dealing with overseas supporters who have slightly different uh, issues, obviously, than people who are lucky enough to go to the matches week in, week out. And, you know, for us, they're just as important and valued as Chelsea supporters as anybody else. So don't feel that... You know, it's an exclusive club that you're not, you know, that you're not part of. The supporters trust is just as much for the overseas supporters as it is for the home supporters. Absolutely. I think that was a perfect final thought for us. So, Nick, let's go ahead and continue the trend. Yeah, I would just like to to thank Chage for coming on. I mean, this is a it's it's still fun in year three to uh, to have him kind of jump on our show and for you know i tune in every week to the to the chelsea fan cast so again if you don't listen to the fan cast currently uh get on there uh they're they're two hour episodes uh so they they really go through everything in depth and uh and have some fun along the way uh so chelsea fan cast you can de- uh, download it on itunes and soundcloud wherever else that you get your podcasts that is it for us this week, Chelsea fans. Sorry that we have to take a week for the international break. But as you guys know, we will be back right after that with another episode. Again, thank you, Chidge. Go follow him on Twitter. Check him out. Listen to their pod. Tweet at him. Let him know if we introduced you so he can say hi. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.